Life throws us many curves and crooks. When they come, we can easily become overwhelmed. Elijah came to that place in his life. Today, Pastor Bernie walks us through how Elijah came to this place and how God got him out of it. We hope and pray that wherever you are in your walk with God, that you are encouraged from the message entitled, Life Beyond Juniper. First Kings, we'll be looking at chapter 19. If you want to find your place there. We had a conversation the other day at our uh, Honor Bound Men's Breakfast. We didn't mention any names. I have no idea who um, uh, the brother was asking for prayer for. He didn't mention a name. But we got to talking about people that are in despair. People that are discouraged. And um, I've been thinking about that ever since that meeting, actually. And I've been praying for that person, whoever it was, and others. Because we all get discouraged. Sometimes everybody gets discouraged. Uh, somebody asked me this morning, said something to me this morning about don't don't be discouraged because something happened. It was it was discouraging. And I told him, I said, well, it was discouraging, but I'm not discouraged. Um, and sometimes if we get discouraged and we keep focusing on that, it can actually get to a point where we're in despair uh, because everybody gets discouraged. You know, we look in the Scripture, we see plenty of people who were discouraged. I mean, Jacob got discouraged. I mean, he worked seven years for his wife and got duped, you know. He got his wife's sister and he had to work another seven years. Brother, 14 years to get your wife. That could be discouraging. I, I asked my uh, father-in-law for my wife's hand in marriage and he didn't give me a straight-up yes. And I had to wait six months. And that seemed like forever, didn't it? Well, five months. I had met you. I knew you a month when I asked, didn't I? And we got, we met six months later, we got married. And it seemed like eternity. I can't imagine seven years. Holy cow, I'd have probably went crazy waiting that long. But that's, that's discouraging. I mean, Abraham, he, he wanted a child. God promised him a child. He's a hundred years old. <laughs> it's discouraging. Joseph, sold into slavery by his brothers, didn't do anything wrong, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, thrown into prison. I mean, there's, there's people in the Scripture and throughout history we can see that we're discouraged. Peter, you know, when he denied Christ three times, he's discouraged. Uncle Percy even got discouraged. You don't want to hear about Uncle Percy getting discouraged? He did get discouraged. He was out hunting one time with his old coon dog, Highball. And he got after a coon that was down by the railroad track, and he caught that coon just as soon as he hit the railroad track. And they started fighting right in the middle of the railroad track. And he didn't even see the train coming, and it hit Highball and killed his coon dog. Well, he kept yelling, Turn him loose, Highball! Turn him loose! So he run down there, and he's holding his old coon dog, Highball, and he's crying. Well, Marcel heard him. Yelling for highball to turn him loose. He didn't know what was going on. He got down there and he saw Uncle Percy sitting in the railroad track holding old highball, just crying. And he said, oh, Paul, he said, don't be upset about old highball getting killed. We got other good puppies out of old highball. They'll be just as good as him. Uncle Percy says, boy, I ain't crying because the train killed highball. He said, well, why are you crying? And he says, I was afraid he was going to die thinking that coon whipped him. We all get discouraged. But sometimes you can get into despair. And this morning I wanted to take a look at a man in Scripture who 
was in despair. If you found your place in 1 Kings chapter 19, look at it with me in verse 1. It says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he rose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. I'm reading from the New King James Version. In the King James, it says a juniper tree. He came and sat down under the juniper tree or broom tree, and he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then he lay and slept under the broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food for forty days and forty nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in the place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Verse 11, then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong, strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. So it was, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars, killed your prophets with a sword, and I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Haziel as the king over Syria, and you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, and Abel of Mahalah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. It shall be that whosoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whosoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have, re, re, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Verse 19, And he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him. And he, and he was with the twelfth. 
Then Elijah passed by him, threw his mantle on him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, O God, that we have your Holy Scripture today. That we can sit down, Lord, and we can study it and read it, God. It is a love letter straight from your heart to our heart. And we are so privileged to have it, God. We thank you today that we can read it. We have the freedom, Lord, to expound upon it, Lord, without fear of persecution. God, always, always, Lord, we pray that you will defend that in this nation. Now, God, as we break open your word today, Lord, we ask that you not just let us see just the written word on paper. But, God, illuminate your word to us today, Lord. Help us to see, God, the message in the message that we can be encouraged today, God. That we can go out from this place, Lord, with a new vigor and a new passion. Lord, uh, that we can see that you do have a purpose and a plan for our life. We ask you this now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. I heard a testimony. Uh, it's been years ago. Uh, it's a testimony of a man that I, I, I actually look up to. I, I don't revere the man, but I really respect him. Uh, I respect his ministry. Uh, and I was a little surprised when I heard where he had come from to get to the place where he was. I mean, this is a renowned man of God in today's uh, Christian circles in the Christian world. Um, he was a graduate of Princeton University. He was the head of his class. Uh, my memory serves me well. He had earned his doctorate's degree by the time he was 23 years old. A brilliant man. Speaks three or four flu- languages fluently. And just a, just a, almost a genius. Um, he went on after he graduated from Princeton to become a Methodist pastor. And uh, he was doing very well. Had a large church. It seemed like everything was going well. And he said uh, people didn't know the war that was going on inside of him. And he said, I remember the day that I stood out behind the barn on my father's farm. And stuck a Desert Eagle 357 Magnum in my mouth and started pulling the trigger. And he said, but by the grace of God, I would have blown my brains all over Valdosta, Georgia. And this man later went on uh, to get filled with the Holy Ghost. And God began to use him and he later became the president of Southeastern University in Lakeland, Florida. One of the most prestigious Bible colleges of this image of God. The man I'm talking about is Dr. Mark Rutland. Now, I don't know if you know him or have ever heard him, but man, he is just one of the most amazing, articulate orators I've ever listened to. Out of all the men of God I've ever listened to preach, I would I love to hear Dr. Rutland, probably above them all. And to hear that he had come to a place in his life that he was in such despair that he was willing to blow his brains out. Just, it, I couldn't hardly believe that because he is such an accomplished man and a confident and intelligent man. How in the world could somebody come to such a place of despair? And uh, if anybody, I guess, knew what it was like to be under the juniper tree, Dr. Rutland, he, he understands that and he knew that. And I, I don't know what happened in his life to, to bring him to that point. I have no idea. And, and some people say, well, what would have happened to him if he'd have pulled that trigger, you know, and I'm not, I'm, I'm getting off my notes here, but I just felt I needed to talk about that just a second. We talked about that the other day, remember, Joel, in, in our staff meeting, 
something came up about that subject. And I said, you know, I don't know. I've heard men say that murder, uh, whether you murder someone else or you murder yourself, murders will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he said, suicide victims don't go to heaven. And I'm like, I don't really know that you can say that, you know, because we don't know. We, we just don't know. Because I've pondered that before and I thought, well, D D Judas went out and hung himself. And people say, well, he went to hell. But I said, well, if he did, it wasn't necessarily because he hung himself. It was because Jesus said, there's 12 of you and one of you is a devil. I mean, he was a devil before he went out and hung himself. You know, King Saul, he was vexed with an evil spirit. He fell upon his own sword and ki he killed himself. But then there's there's... Samson, and that's the one that really throws a kink in the whole thing, because here's Samson, is chained to the columns, and he prays to God to give him the strength to pull the columns down on himself and to kill himself. And God gave him the strength to do that. This is what kind of puzzles me a little bit. It would be equivalent to a suicide bomber today. He's killing himself and as many as he can in the process. And the Bible says he killed more in that one act than he killed throughout his whole life. And Samson killed a whole lot of folks. And he is mentioned in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, the hall of faith, as one of those whose faith gave him favor with God and the presence of God. So when I look at this, I'm like, bottom of the end of the day, I don't know the answer to that question. But I can tell people, no matter how desperate you get, in the depths of despair... Brother, it's not worth the gamble. I wouldn't want to find out the answer when I stand before God and the answer is not good. So I don't know the answer to that. And some people have asked me that and that, that's my answer. I don't know the answer. That's why God is a judge and we're not. Amen. And I think for somebody to take a concrete, absolute position on that, they don't know what they're talking about. For or against. And so I, I'm going to get off of that. But. He was in such a place of despair, and I thought, how in the world could a person get there? What causes a person to fall in such depths of despair? And so I see in the, in the life of Elijah, a man who was in great despair, sitting on a juniper tree wanting to die, asking God, just kill me. I'm a failure. I'm no better than my father's. I have failed. I just want to check out. I see some points that I think can help us understand despair and how to overcome it. The first thing that we need to see that causes us to be in times of desperation. The problem is not the situation. It's never the situation. It's always our focus. It's how we see that problem. You see, something can happen to you and it can just not affect you at all. The same exact thing can happen to me and it can just devastate me. So it's not the situation. It's you look at it different than I look at it. So a lot of time it has to do with the focus. It's our perception of the problem. It is not the situation. Look at it again in verse 1. Verse 1 through 3. It says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how that he'd executed the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel she threatens him. She sends a messenger says, I'm going to kill you. But I want you to see verse 3. Because this is what caught my eye, really that brought me around to preach this sermon this morning. Verse 3 says, and when he saw that, when he saw that, 
he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba. Sits under a Judah tree says, God just killed me. And I thought about that. I was like, it didn't say when he heard that. Because a messenger came and says, Jezebel says she's going to kill you just like those prophets. The Bible says when he saw that. Because in his imagination, he saw her doing this. And so he ran for his life. The problem was his focus. He couldn't see beyond this threat. And it was a real threat. Now, don't make any mistake here. Because Jezebel was the most wicked woman that would ever live. And the Bible says that her spirit is still around today. That same demonic spirit that caused her to be the person that she is, is still around today. There's been a lot of sermons and books and teachings on the Jezebel spirit. Some of you may have read some of those, and I've read all kinds of things about it, and I'm not really going to talk about the Jezebel spirit a whole lot this morning, but we need to understand that this was a real threat. I mean, this woman, she was, a, first of all, she was the prince of Beth, uh, Ephbaal, was her father's name. He was a king. He was the king of the Sidonians. The Sidonians worshipped Baal. The whole nation worshipped Baal and Ashtaroth, the two main deities in the occult world at that time. Uh, basically, it was Satan worship. And Ashtaroth was the female counterpart of Baal. She was the god of fertility. And Jezebel learned very early in life that through sexual seduction, she could get what she wanted. She was a witch. She used manipulation and control to get what she wanted. Everybody look this way and listen very carefully. We can so easily slip into that and let that seducing spirit cause us to use manipulation to get what we want. Especially in married couples. When married couples are arguing, most of the time it's all about control. Who's going to be in control? And that's really what witchcraft is. It's manipulation and control to gain power. And that's what she was very good at. She had seduced the king. Ahab was the king of Israel. And she married him. And she seduced him and completely dominated him. She controlled him. He was nothing but a puppet used by her. Because the Jezebel spirit, when it is on a woman, they hate men. Even though they, they're with them and they act like they love them, they tell them they love them, they want to emasculate men and take their power because they want to control them. And they use some very persuasive things to gain that power. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? Say, uh-huh. And so that Jezebel's spirit was around and it was very powerful and it was a very real threat. Not only had she seduced the king, she had convinced the whole nation of Israel to reject God. And they all, they built temples for her god, Baal, and Ashtaroth. She had 450 prophets of Baal that ate at her table. And 400 prophets of Ashtaroth that ate at her table. And if you remember, what brought on all of this was Elijah came and told them to get all their prophets together. 
And we will offer a sacrifice to God. And the God that answers by fire, he will be God. And if you remember the prophets of Baal, they, they put their bull on the altar. They laid the wood up there and they kept calling out to Baal and nothing would happen. And Elijah began to mock him. He says, maybe you need to yell a little louder. Perhaps he can't hear you. And they would yell louder. And he's like, maybe you need to yell a little louder. Maybe he's asleep. Or maybe he's going to relieve himself. And said that they cut themselves with lances so that the blood would flow. And all day long, they're dancing around and they're beseeching Baal and nothing happens. Then Elijah comes and there's a famine in the land. There's been no rain for three and a half years. For three years, I think it is. And he says, puts the altar up there. He lays the bull up there. He says, pour water all over the, the altar. They did it. He said, pour water on it again. They did it again. He said, pour water on it again. And now there's a trench around the altar full of water. All the wood is soaked with water. And he calls out to the God of heaven. And fire came down, consumed the bull, consumed the water, consumed the wood, consumed the other bull, it consumed it all. And then he said, take all the prophets and kill them. And they killed all 850 prophets with the sword. And so, you've got to understand, the whole nation of Israel has been seduced by this woman. Not only that, but she has killed every prophet that she could find. A guy by the name of Obadiah. Took 100 prophets, he hid 50 in this cave and 50 in that cave and was secretly feeding them bread and water. Because she had killed all the prophets and now she's got her target on this guy. And she told him, I'm going to kill you. So it was a real threat. And in his mind, he couldn't see beyond that threat. When we are in despair, folks, that's the problem. All you can see is your problem. It's all you can see. Because see, in his mind, Jezebel was more powerful than God. He didn't say that. He didn't acknowledge that. But his actions said that. <laughs> I mean, he just seen God answer by fire. And what he's, he's going to find out is that God is going to continue to answer by fire. If, if you look ahead after Ahab... Jezebel's husband dies, Moab, he gets kind of on the war path and rises up against Israel. And there's a new king on the throne by that time named Ahaziah. Man, those names are tough. Ahaziah. Well, he fell and got hurt. And instead of asking for a prophet of God to come and tell him whether he was going to live or not, he sent a messenger to beseech Beelzebub. That's Lucifer. To go ask Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, if I'm going to live or die. And God spoke to Elijah and says, go and meet that messenger. And tell the messenger to go back and tell Ahaziah, the bed that you laid down on, you're not going to get up off of. And so he goes back and he tells him. He said, I've got a messenger on the way. He said, to come and tell you, the bed that you're laying on, you're not going to get up off of. He said, what did that man look like? He said, he was a hairy man, had a leather belt around him. He said, it is none other than Elijah the Tishbite. He takes a captain and 50 men says, go get him and tell him to come here. The captain and 50 men goes and says, man of God. The king says, you're to come with me. He said, if I be a man of God, let God answer by fire. And the captain and 50 men were consumed by fire. Ahaziah says to the second captain, take 50 men and go get Elijah. So the second captain and 50 men come and says, King Ahaziah says, you'd come with me. 
He said, if I be a man of God, let God answer by fire. Fifty more men, fifty-one more men was consumed by fire. Ahaziah sends a third captain and fifty men. How would you like to be that third captain? The third captain comes up and falls on his face before Elijah and said, Elijah, let my life be precious in your sight. And let the life of my men be precious in your sight. But see, he, he didn't see God in that light. All he could see was this woman with great power, this threat that just seemed so real and so big. It's threatening to take my life. And so he runs for his life. And when we're in despair, folks, it's just like that. All we can see is our problem. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until the point that that's all we can see. And then it gets to the point where it seems insurmountable. It's unconquerable. It's overwhelming. And it just paralyzes you until all hope is gone. And we find ourselves sitting in our juniper tree, just wanting to die, wanting to quit. People do desperate things when they're under the juniper tree. Some people, I mean, they, they want to die. Mark Rutland stuck a pistol in his mouth and wanted to blow his brains out. I have known people that have actually done that. That's why I say, I don't know. I, I, I knew we, in our conversation, we talked about a man. This man was faithful to God. Loved the Lord. One of the most faithful men in his church. And his wife became ill and he started taking care of her. And she needed a 24-hour care. He went to the doctor and found that he had a terminal illness. Went home, shot his wife, shot himself. And I look at that, I'm like, God, this man loved you. He served you all of his life. And some people tell me that man's in hell. I just don't understand that. Is that so, Lord? And, and I don't know. But what I do know is this, folks. Sometimes the, the problem just seems so big that you can't see God healing you of that terminal illness and raising your wife up and giving you life or, or helping you, giving you the strength or someone, something, an answer of some kind. Because the problem just seems so big and God seems so, so small. And that's the way Elijah was and sitting under the juniper tree. He just wanted to die. Sometimes when you're sitting under the juniper tree, you just want to quit. I mean, you may not want I, I am, I'm not in any hurry to get out of here, you know. I can't see myself hurting myself. I like I don't like to hurt myself. And I don't like anybody else hurting me either. Somebody told me to smack somebody. I was like, I don't smack a guy. He's twice as big as I am. <laughs> he hurt me. Amen? But sometimes we want to quit. I've been there. How many has ever been to a point you just wanted to quit? I've been there. When Jeannie and I got married, our, our purpose was to serve the Lord. We left Virginia in 1974 to go to Columbia, South Carolina, to go to Columbia Bible College. And I didn't. I chickened out. I didn't go. And it would be uh, nine years before we finally did go to college. Went to Bible college, graduated. My, my authority over me said, God is sending you to this place. And we went to help plant a church up in New England. I didn't feel that was where God was telling me to go, but I felt that I should submit to my authority. And so I went. And when we got there, the pastor there, God bless his heart, he didn't, he was trying to figure this thing out too. He loved me, he just didn't know what to do, I guess. And I didn't know what to do with him. And we're, we're 
somehow or another we got at opposite ends of what was going on. I don't even know what happened to this day. I mean, we love each other now. Our relationship has been restored. But through what happened there, I was hurt. I mean, devastated. And it got to the point to where I couldn't see God anymore. All I could see was my problem. And we got, we finally, we had to leave that church and it, I don't know if that was the right answer or not. I, I'm not trying to figure that out. I just, what happened happened and we left. We, it's why we got connected with the symbols of God. Maybe God was in all of that for this reason. I don't know. God works in strange ways, you know. But I'm over here and we were so destitute. We, we didn't have the money to get home. I mean, we, it was just horrible. The worst time in our life. And uh, I got to the point that I didn't want to serve God anymore. I just wanted out. But I didn't want to go to hell. I've always had a fear of the Lord, brother. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, you know. And I'm like, God, is there anything else I can do and still have peace? And it got so bad, I just I didn't know what to do. And so I went on a fast. I said, God, I'm not eating another bite till you tell me what to do. And for five days, I drank nothing but water. And I'm like, God, i, I got to hear from you, Lord. And God, on the fifth day, God told me two things. One is personal. I won't go into the other. He said, go home and get your house in order. I was like, God, I don't even, home? What do you mean home? I went to nine schools in 12 years. I've moved all my life. I've never lived in one place. I don't even know where home is, you know. So we looked around, and we decided to settle in Virginia. Because we had, Jeannie had family here. My mom and dad were still moving around. My brothers, they were scattered out. And this is where all, most of our family was. So it was like, that's the closest thing to home I know. Said, Let's go close to your family. Because, see, I, w- I wasn't thinking spiritual. I was thinking if we live close to this family, every other holiday, we won't have to travel. Because we'd go see one of the other on Christmas and the other on Thanksgiving. I'm like, we cut our traveling in half. Let's move to Virginia. Uh, so we, that's why we moved here, real spiritual reason, you know. And then I looked, I said, well, I like the four seasons. I kind of like the rolling country. I, we'll move to Bumpus, Virginia. So we wound up here. But when I got here, that was it. I was done. For one year, I didn't read my Bible. I didn't pray. I sat under a juniper tree and felt sorry for myself. All of the children of Israel, they've forsaken you, God. They've tore down your altar. Did you see the way they treated me up there? I went up there and tried to help them. And you see what they did to me? I packed everything I had in a storage building and drove with all I could get in my car, pulled in a trailer and in a little pickup truck, a Ford Courier that, thank God, it made it to Connecticut and back. <laughs> Slept on the floor with my whole family on a mattress for six months. I sacrificed for you, God. And you see how they treated me? If anybody deserved better than this, I did. You see, that's what Elijah was saying. Look at it again. I have been zealous for you, verse 14. Because the children of Israel, they've forsaken your covenant. They've tore down your altars. They killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left. Do you hear the arrogance in that? I feel so hard for myself. Nobody loves me. They just kicked me to the curb. 
Elijah was having a pity party. And when you get in despair, folks, I love you, but listen, when you get in despair, all you see is your problem. You feel sorry for yourself. And you start reasoning with all the reasons this shouldn't be. As if I deserve something better than this. And so there I said, brother, I was in despair. We need to see the problem. It's not the situation. It's how we see the problem. The next thing I want you to see real quick is that we need to see that there is provision. Because when you call out to God, He hears you. Every time. When you call out to God, He hears your cry. Even though Elijah didn't deserve it, he called out to God. And the Bible says that he was under the juniper tree and the angel of the Lord woke him up and says, Here, I've got some bread for you to eat and some water for you to drink. He ate it. Now, you notice this. When he ate the bread and drank the water, he didn't get him to go to work. Kind of unappreciative. He just rolled over and went back to sleep. That's one of the signs of depression is you just sleep all the time. You don't want to do anything. Well, we kind of see that in Elijah. So... <clears throat> The Bible says that the angel of the Lord, verse 7, the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights. Wow, that must have been some good cake. (laughs) That's angel food. Amen. Angel food. But God will take care of you. He took care of him. Now, folks, when people get in despair, they cry out to God. And sometimes God may send you and I as that angel of mercy. And this is what we talked about at the men's meeting. And I actually I felt this was the word of the Lord in that situation as the brother brought it up. I said, well, you know what? In every situation when we're ministering to somebody that's in despair or they're discouraged. We need to get the mind of God. Y'all need to hear this. We need to get the mind of God. Because what you say to that person is critically important. Because sometimes what they need is sympathy. They need a shoulder to cry on. They need you to tell them it's going to be all right. Sometimes they don't need you to say a thing. They're not looking for your advice. David, and I think somebody brought that up in the meeting. David, he just vented sometimes. He's like, God, you see what they're doing to me? Kill them! I'm like, all right, David. Are we supposed to pray like that? Lord, you see what my enemies are to devour them, oh God. I've had brethren come to me, and I mean, they were just... They'd had it. They'd had it up to here. I mean, they were using profanity. They didn't care what you thought about it. They were angry. They were in despair. And they didn't need me to tell them it's going to be all right. Because in their mind, it didn't matter what you said. It wasn't going to be all right. They had had it up to here. And they just needed a sounding board. They needed to vent and they needed somebody 
with enough maturity to listen to what they had to say and not think, oh my Lord, I can't believe he said that. He's supposed to be a Christian. We need the mind of God. Do they need sympathy? Do they just need a brother that's listening? It says, I hear you. I, I, I hear you. I felt that way before. Said some of the same things. I'm still serving God. There is life beyond the juniper. And then sometimes they need you to get them and say, look, you're being a big, pouty baby. Suck it up. It's time to man up. You're bigger than this. Stop it. You know better. How many of you know the truth will set you free? First, it'll make you mad. Amen? Because when you're in your pity pot, you don't need somebody looking up in your face saying, you just need to shake yourself. Get over it. Man up. Belly up. You're bigger than this. But friend, you need to know that God told you to say that. We need the mind of God. So when you're dealing with it, because you say something like that to somebody that needs sympathy, you're just going to destroy them. And somebody that you think, well, all they need is a sounding board. No, they, they need somebody to counsel them. We need to know the mind of God in that situation. And so, in, in every situation, we need to, to see that there is a provision. God will provide for you. He will, he will send the angel, be it a person or be it some, something. I mean, you may be going through a crisis financially. God will send you some money. I heard a testimony the other day. A guy said, God just sent me some money out of nowhere. I got a letter the other day. I need to see somebody about that too that does my taxes. Said I overpaid $800 to the state. Hallelujah. You mean the state's going to give me some money for a change? I'll praise there is a God in heaven. <laughs> you know when the government gives you money, it's, it's got to be God. When we cry out to God, God hears you. And folks, I want you to hear the word of the Lord this morning. God is not mad at you. He's not mad at you. And when you sit under the juniper tree feeling sorry for yourself, God, he's, he's not just turning his back on you and done with you. You don't have to be perfect to be precious in his sight. Aren't you glad of that? I am precious in His sight, and I am far from perfect. Remember the little song? Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in His sight. And it's not just children. We're all children of God. And we're all precious in His sight, and none of us are perfect. And even though we get to a point where we quit on God, we quit on each other, we quit on ourselves. God will never quit on you. And so when we cry out, we need to see that there's provision. God hears us. He sends the answer when we cry out to Him. He gives us the bread. Thank you so much, girls, for that prayer this morning. You didn't know. They prayed, God, give Him the bread of life. Give Him living water. Because that was one of my points. Because He's laying there and He's like, I've had it. God, just kill me. The angel came and gave him some angel food, man. Gave him some bread, the bread of life, and gave him living water. 
And God says, no matter how far you wander, I've always got the bread of life for you and living water for you. Sometimes, so when that happens, we're, we're looking for God just to blow all of our problems away. To shake things up for us. Consume it with fire. That's what he told Elijah. He said, go up and stand on the mountain. He went up there and wind blew and just rent the rocks in two. But God wasn't in that. Are you hearing me, church? God's not going to just blow your problems away. How many of you know we all have problems? You're going to have problems to the day you die. That's not a bad confession. It's a fact. The Bible says in the world you have tribulations, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He's not going to just blow it away. Sometimes you, you want things shook up. Since it was a great earthquake there, but God wasn't in the earthquake. Sometimes you just wish God would do like He did for Elijah. Just consume them with fire, God. Make my problems just zoop, gone. God's not going to just make your problem go away and consume it with fire. Since then there was a still small voice. See, most of the time, God just wants you to hear His voice. And He'll tell you what to do. Man, that's my prayer every day. God, show me what to do today. Lord, I need Your direction. I want to know what to do. Every meeting we have, everything. God, I want to know what You want me to do right now because that's what I'm here for. So we need to see the problem. We need to see the provision. I'm going to finish up here. I'm almost done. You still with me? Say, "Uh uh-huh. We need to see the proposal. It says that there he went into a cave and he and, and, uh, spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the uh, Lord of hosts. The children of Israel forsaken you, your covenant, tore down your altars and killed your prophets. And I alone am here. What is he doing? What are you doing here, Elijah? He starts looking back. Look at all the things I've done for you, Lord. Look at all the things I've done for you, Lord. He's like, no, I've got a better proposal for you. Instead of looking back there, why don't you start looking out here? Because he asked him that twice. What are you doing here, Elijah? And both times, he started rehearsing all the things that he's done. What is the proposal? God has still got something for you to do beyond the juniper tree. No matter how in despair you get. Brother, when I, in 1989, I had had it. I had had it. And out of nowhere, a brother called me up. He said, brother, I was in prayer. God put you on my heart. What is going on? I said, nothing. He said, let me tell you what's going on. I said, all right. He said, if every church in America burnt to the ground right now, you could care less. Am I right? I said, yeah, that's pretty much it. He said, I know I've been there. Good. I'm glad you've been there. I mean, I didn't care, brother. I, the only thing is I didn't want to go to hell. I'm like, God, is there some way I could? I'd, I'd had it with church. I'd had it with Christians. I'd had it with Christianity. I'd really had it with preachers, you know. Two weeks later, another brother called me that didn't know him and says, I was in prayer. God put you on my heart. What's going on? And that did it, man, because this, this guy, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't get an attitude with him. 
He just, I just couldn't do that with him. And, I, and at that point, I knew I was in bad shape. I walked right down on 601 under the bridge and sat by the South End of the River and watched the river go by. And I said, God, help me. That's all it takes. When you cry out to God with a sincere, the Bible says, He that comes to me with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, I will in no wise turn away. When you cry out to God in your desperation, He will hear you. And what He will say to you is, I still have something for you to do. Folks, if God was through with you, you'd be in heaven right now. You're not in heaven, so He's not done with you. And no matter where you go in life, no matter how deep you get in despair, if you're still here, God's not through with you yet. He still has something for you to do. Elijah still had work to do. And did you know, did you understand this? Did you realize that most of the things that Elijah did in his ministry, he did on the other side of the juniper tree. He went and anointed the king that would rid Israel of Jezebel and Ahab and all of his seed. Because he told him, go and anoint Jehu king. Jehu, I mean, that was one serious king. He's the one, if you remember when he rode in and Jezebel's up there in the wind and said, Oh, Jehu, is it well with you? He said, Is there anybody up there on the Lord's side? And two eunuchs. And that's prophetic too because they're men that had been emasculated by this woman. Demasculated by this woman. All their power taken. They said, Yeah, we're on the Lord's side. He said, Throw her down. And they pitched her out the window. Said the blood of Jezebel splashed on the legs of his horse, and he rode right over top of her, squishing her. Went inside and sat down and ate a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> it really bothered him. And after he finished his peanut butter and jelly sandwich and his Dr. Pepper, he said, "I guess we ought to bury the old husband." After all, she was the king's daughter. And he went out there and didn't find anything. But the palms of her hand, I think it was her skull, was it? Soles of her feet. According to the words of the prophet Elijah. Because you see, Jezebel, she, she, whatever she wanted, she got And she got it by any means necessary. And that spirit is still alive today. I know some people got it on them. I, I, I don't think of a person right now. I got it all over that person. Go and get it. No, whatever it takes. And, and, and her husband Ahab, he wanted this vineyard, this vineyard, the vineyard that belonged to Nabath. And Nabath said, that's been in my family for years. I'm not selling that. And so Ahab goes home and lays across Jezebel's lap on the bed crying. Nabath won't give me that vineyard. She said, don't you worry about it. I'll get that vineyard for you. Falsely raises up false uh, witnesses against him, accuses him of blaspheming. Stones him to death and comes and tells Ahab, said, now go get your vineyard. Murdered the man. Elijah told him, said, in the field of Nabath, where his blood is poured out, the dogs shall lick your blood. And the dogs shall eat the bones of Jezebel against the walls of Jezreel. Prophesy. When Jehu come riding up in there into Jezreel, they threw her out and the dogs ate her body right there. And said there will not be a place where they can say, here lies Jezebel. Because the dogs, they spread her all over the countryside. If you understand what I'm saying. 
Most wicked woman that ever lived. And people that have a Jezebel spirit on the day, if you can't get them set free from that, their end is not good. You remember the church of Thyatira, God warned them, says, I have something against you. You allowed that woman Jezebel to seduce my prophets and cause my people to eat things offered to idols. You allowed it. I have the spirit of Jehu on me. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't put up no Jezebel spirit in a man or a woman. God help you. <laughs> Nobody's in here has got that. I'm not taking a... Uh, you, I see you back there. I'm telling you. So. No, it's not like that. But you can feel safe because when I see a Jezebel spirit, it makes me so mad. I'm like, is anybody on God's side in here? Throw her down! Just get rid of that thing. Get it out of here because all it's going to do is murder and manipulate and control and emasculate and this is not good. So the proposal of God is still at work. We see the problem. We see the provision. We see the proposal. Hunter, why don't you guys go ahead and make your way to the front? The last thing is I want you to see the possibilities. There is life beyond the juniper tree. Majority of what Elijah did, he did on the other side of the juniper. He did after he came out of this valley of despair. When I sat under that bridge that day, I said, God help me. Within a matter of weeks, God opened the door for a new ministry that is still at work today. This is a part of that prayer. Only a few weeks later, just a sweetest old gentleman came to my house. I visited his church. I'd been witnessing to a guy for years. And he wouldn't give me the time of day. And this old Baptist preacher went in his house and led him to the Lord. The first time he went in his house, I was like, how did he do that? I'm a teacher. I'm not an evangelist. He had his anointing of an evangelist. He just led him to Christ. I'm like, that's just not fair. I said, i got to see this man. So I went to his church. I sat down in the pew. I think it was the first time I'd been in church, and I don't even know when. And I sat there, and I, I said, I don't want nobody to know nothing about me. I don't want them to know that I've been to Bible college, that I've been a choir director. I've been working church. I don't want them to know nothing. I just want to sit here and do nothing. But I want to see who this man is. He came and visited me. Rub his old hands like that. Want me to come to church and the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me. He says, whatever this man asks you to do, you do it. That's the last thing I wanted to hear. I said, well, Pastor, I said, I'm an assemblies of God. I said, I really don't know how it would fit in your church, you know. He's like... Oh, I love those assemblies of God, folks. They love Jesus. That's what he told me. I'm like, well, if you're cool with that, I said, I'll do what I can, you know. And for nine years, we did. And out of that, this was birthed, this ministry here. Because there's been more done on the other side of that desperation than I did before that desperation. Elijah did more on the other side of the juniper tree than he did on the front side of the juniper tree. And we need to understand that there are possibilities beyond our points of despair. I, I love that movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. Great movie. Great story in that. Because think about this. What would the world be like if you had never been born? I would like to think that you have made a positive difference yeah. in people's lives. 
I would like to think that I have made a positive difference in people's lives. But all the things that I've done, I don't want to say, okay, well, I've done enough. No, I want to do more still and even more still. You see, every life that you touch for Jesus, that is the reward for his suffering at Calvary. And brother, I want to give him so much reward when I get there. Lord, this is what you suffered for. I did all I could do to give you the reward of your suffering. I want my life to make a difference. So look at the differences your life has made. And understand that there's still a lot that God has for you to do. As long as God keeps you here, there's more for you to do. So let me ask you something this morning. Have you ever been under the juniper tree? Has there ever been a point in your life where you were just in despair? We've all had times where we were discouraged. But can you look back to that time and honestly ask yourself, did I quit back there? Did I quit? Did my passion die under that juniper tree? Has your life made a difference since then? Because God needs you to do what He put you here to do. And if you look back and say, you know what, there's something died in me back there. And I want it revived again. Because I don't want the things that I have done to be all that I have done. You see, Elijah went and anointed a man that would do twice the miracles that he did. Prophesy, do twice as much as he did after the juniper tree. I want the Spirit of God to stay alive in me and to have a passion for Him so that when I am on the other side of that, that the things that I do are vastly far further than the things that I have done before that experience. So what about it? Are we waiting for the wind to blow it away or God to shake it up or fire to consume it? Or is that still small voice enough to say, I want you to go back? See, that's what he told Elijah. Go back. You used to serve me. I want you to go back to where you served me, Elijah. Go back. Because i got something for, I, for you to do. You're going to anoint the king. You're going to anoint the man that's going to take your place. Listen to that small, still voice. Why don't you stand with me, if you would, please? There was a story I heard. I'm going to close with this. There was this guy. He lived in a little town, a little country town. And he was what you might say a homely looking 
fellow. He wasn't a guy that everybody wanted to be his friend. Wasn't really anything special about him. And he kind of became the neighborhood fix-it man. Started working on washing machines, fixing people's houses and stuff, fixing little small engines and stuff. And he became very good at it, so he started a business. And he didn't get wealthy, but he did all right. You know, he was able to make enough to live off of and do fairly well and have a little bit of money left over. And one day after a while, this man met a young lady. And she was, what you might say, not the attractive girl in town. Might even say she was a little bit homely herself, you know. Not that we measure people, shouldn't measure people like that. But by the world standard, she wasn't the beauty queen. Nobody really cared about her. But he did. Boy, he loved her with all of his heart. And he would work and work and work. And religiously, every third Thursday, he would take her to the neighboring big city. And just buy her a little something. Take her out to eat. Maybe buy her a flower. Buy her a little gift or something. And he did that every third Thursday of every month. He would work, work, work. Just to have enough money left over to treat this woman that he loved. After a few years, she became terminally sick and she died. And it took him a long time to get over that. After another short time, he adopted a 15-year-old boy and it all started over again. He would work, 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 work. And every third Thursday, he would take that boy to town. to spend the day with him. They'd go do different activities and stuff, you know, go bowling, video games or whatever. And he'd buy him a little something to come back home. And a friend asked him one day, he said, why do you do that? Your whole life is spent just working and working and working. And then you just give it away like that. You never do anything for yourself. You never really improve your life at all. So you just, that's what you live for? And he said, I'll never forget what he told me. He said, don't you understand? The guy's name was Earl, I think, that asked him the question. He said, Earl, don't you understand? All happiness is, is having something to look forward to. When I heard that story, I thought that was a pretty profound view for life. Because you see, that's what God was telling Elijah. Stop looking back at all the wrongs that have been done. Stop looking back at all the rights that you've done. There is something out there for you to look forward to. And that's what's going to give you satisfaction and peace and get you out of your despair. Stop looking at your problem. Stop focusing on yourself. All happiness is, is having something to look forward to. And church, I came here today to tell you, I believe the word of the Lord for you is that God has something for you to do. And you need to look forward to that. And go after it with all your heart. I don't know where you are today. Maybe you're one of those people. You're under the juniper tree. You're right in the midst of that right now. Or maybe you're somebody that you've been there and something died in you. And you quit back there. And you really haven't been serving God. You're like I was. For one whole year, I didn't do anything for God. Didn't want to do anything for God. Just basically wanted Him to leave me alone. Just guarantee me I had a spot in heaven. That's, That's all I wanted. Maybe that's you. But wherever you are, you need to know today that God's got something for you to do. 
And it's going to make a positive difference in somebody's life. You work and work and work for them. And folks, I can tell you, it gives you satisfaction like nothing else will do. It's all you want to do. You want to work and work and work to be a blessing to somebody else. Elijah understood that. And because of that, God caught him up in a fiery chariot. And man, God's he's got something good for you. If you'll just serve him. Would you bow your head, please? Father, we just thank you for this time together. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, thank you for the meaning in it, Lord. I thank you so much for the story of Elijah. It's been such a blessing to me. Lord, I pray today that it's been a blessing to those that have heard it. God, today, speak to every heart. Let every person know, Lord, that you're not through with them. No matter where they are, no matter what they're going through, no matter what they've been through, God, you're not through with them yet, or they wouldn't be here. They would be in heaven. Because Elijah, he asked you to take me, just take me. And you did take him, Lord, but you did not take him until his job was done. And Lord, you haven't taken us, so I know our job's not done yet. So, Father, just speak to every heart right now. Speak to every heart, God. Call those, Lord, that have drifted away from you to go back to the place where they used to serve you. Is that you this morning? Are you in the place where God has told you to be right now? Did God call you to serve Him and at some point you stopped and you know it? And God is speaking to your heart right now and says, I need you to go back to the place where you used to serve me. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to step out right now and just come and recommit that to God at His altar. We're going to take just a minute. Would you step out right now and say, God, I'm ready to get back in the game. Lord, I want to go and anoint that person that's going to do twice the things that I have done. God bless you, honey. Is anybody else? I want to raise up people that have the power to stop what the enemy is doing. I want to go to Jehu, God. I want to anoint an Elisha. That when I'm gone, they will live on. Their work will be in a small part what I have done in their life. I want to make a difference in somebody's life. And Lord, something inside me is is stop serving you like that. But God, today I want to come back and serve you again. Is there anyone else?